Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are looking at the male side of eating disorders with a special focus on anorexia nervosa, especially because there was a pretty detailed article that came out in GQ magazine in 2012 discussing the rising rates of anorexia among men. Yeah, but also how hard it is for men to seek treatment a lot of the time. Yeah, and also factors that might be holding men back from seeking treatment to begin with. So we wanted to take a closer look at what's going on. And first, let's start out in 1689, which was when Sir Richard Morton provided the first English language description of anorexia. And he reported two adolescent cases, one female and one male. So even though today we often think of anorexia as something that happens to girls and women, the very first case descriptions were of a female and a male. And Morton described the occurrences of, quote unquote, nervous consumption or a wasting away due to emotional turmoil. All right, so moving up to 1874, Sir William Wythe Gull was the first to call the condition anorexia nervosa, literally meaning nervous loss of appetite. And before we go any further, um, I guess we should go ahead and offer um, a trigger warning for people out there who have struggled with eating disorders before. Um, we're not going to go into extreme detail about um, specific people's experiences with eating disorders. We're going to be talking more um, clinically about the hallmarks of it in men. And we'll also be mentioning bulimia and binge eating as well. So just something to keep in mind for any sensitive listeners out there. Um, but in 1980, anorexia nervosa, which is when you shun food, you are not eating at all or eating very, very little, only the the lowest amount of calories that you really need to keep your body running. In 1980, anorexia nervosa was officially recognized as a psychiatric disorder. And since then, the research on anorexia in men has been relatively scarce compared to the research devoted to women suffering from it. And the reason why there's been so much less attention paid to men is because typically they comprise a small minority of anorexia sufferers. Uh, For instance, in 1991, there was a study which estimated that men comprise 10% of the AN population. And then in the year 2000, the New York Times uh, published an article citing a Toronto study which found that that rate had gone up to possibly one in six men who met the full or part diagnostic criteria for anorexia. Um, but what are we talking about, Caroline, biologically, psychologically? What's happening? Well, anorexia nervosa is an unhealthy way to cope with emotional problems. It's not like, I hate food, I feel fat. There, It's so much more to that. And actually, there are some biological roots that researchers are investigating. This could be genetic changes that make some people more vulnerable, but it's unclear exactly how or why. Some people do tend to have a genetic tendency toward perfectionism, sensitivity, and perseverance, all traits associated with anorexia. And in addition, serotonin may play a role in the disease. And 
for men struggling with anorexia, the, the typical male anorexic profile is someone who tends to be anxious, obsessive, persevering, and perfectionistic with a desperate need to please as well as being hypersensitive to rejection and humiliation. All of these different forces um, that are combining. And in the brain, uh, some scientists are, are really looking into what's happening, what might be compelling people to not want to eat. And they found that the insula in the brain regulates our bodily awareness. And when too much norepinephrine is being released in that area, uh, anorexics will feel full even when they're not. Uh, they'll look in the mirror and see a fat person even if they might be severely underweight. It also elevates their pain threshold. So it's like their body doesn't even notice how much physical pain it's in. And it puts people in constant fight or flight mode. Basically, you're starving yourself and all of those kind of all those systems are out of whack. Yeah. And there's an element of obsessive compulsive personality traits that can even allow someone to reject food in that way. Someone who can stick to such a strict diet and forego food. And on top of all of this, there are environmental factors such as, of course, our cultural emphasis on thinness and also some risk factors, particularly for men, which include being overweight as a child and uh, specifically being bullied for being overweight. Weight regulated sports participation, people who are into running, wrestling and cycling may be uh, more primed for an eating disorder. A New York Times story on this in June 2000 pointed out that the similarities between men and women who both suffer from anorexia are striking. Um, men also suffer from low self-esteem and perfectionism. They seek to gain control over their lives by controlling their bodies. And they often suffer from de- depression, anxiety, alcohol and drug abuse, and other psychiatric conditions. They also, as Kristen mentioned, have severely disordered body image. But, as Kristen pointed out, Dr. Catherine Halami, who was the director of the Eating Disorders Program at New York Presbyterian Hospital, found that the men who suffered from anorexia were more likely to have been involved in sports, such as wrestling, biking, or diving, that required weight control. So it's almost as if, I do wonder whether it's a cause and effect, like, you know, did this come about? Did the obsession with tracking calories and weight come about because of the sport they were participating in? Or did this perfectionism drive them to get into such a sport? Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure that, that that might differ from patient to patient. Um, but the very fact that we often consider this more of a woman's disease is debilitating for a lot of men because obviously there are plenty of men out there suffering from it as well. But because... We might think of it as something that happens to women. It might go unrecognized in the men. They, they might not even classify their extreme weight management or food monitoring as a form of anorexia because, oh, that's something that happens to girls. Or clinicians might not recognize it as well. And because of that, eating disorders tend to last one-third longer in men because they are less likely to step forward for treatment. And speaking of treatment, there might also be a potential gender bias that happens in diagnosis of anorexia in particular because the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual includes amenorrhea, which is the absence of at least three menstrual cycles as one of the qualifiers. And right. <laughs> obviously men don't have menstrual cycles, so right. that's, you know, one area that might be addressed even though their endocrine cycle is certainly 
disrupted. Yeah, men's testosterone levels actually plummet when they're anorexic and their sex drive vanishes. But speaking of treatment, I mean, a lot of the residential eating disorder treatment centers that are out there don't admit men out of a belief that treatment should be sex-specific. And this was talked about in that GQ article you mentioned, Kristen. Um, a lot of these programs find that men might actually remind some of these female patients about abuse they've suffered, for instance, men that they've lived with who've treated them poorly. And so they just would rather stick to young women. One person was quoted as saying, look, you know, when women are in their nightgowns on the scales being weighed, talking about their periods, they don't want men to be around. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, that that does leave um, a, a gap for men out there who need help. Uh, the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness's 2011-2012 guide listed 25 out of 58 residential treatment centers in the U.S. that admitted men. So less than half of them. And the, and the thing about treatment, too, that we might not realize when it comes to anorexia is that it's not just about putting a plate of food in front of someone and saying, eat. And everything being fine. It's not, it's not as simple as that because the potassium and calcium deficiencies that are associated with longer term anorexia are literally causing people's bones to rot. There might be cognitive damage involved because of that malnutrition. It can halt puberty, especially depending on the age that it starts because, like you talked about, Caroline, those drops in testosterone. And there's something called refeeding syndrome, which is uh, if the body might be, go into shock from eating food, that can end up killing a person. So having a place to go, an actual treatment center, is a crucial resource for people who are struggling with this. So as recently as a decade ago, clinicians believe that only 5% of anorexics were male. Current estimates, like we mentioned, suggest it's closer to 20% and rising fast. And one thing, uh, one aspect that is rising for men is binge eating. And this is in a New York Times uh, story in August 2012. Binge eating, interestingly enough, is not considered a quote-unquote woman's disease as much as like anorexia or bulimia would be. And the sex differences are pretty evenly split. So they found that 8 million people in the U.S. struggle with binge eating. It's a problem shared equally. About 11% of women and 7.5% of men among those surveyed in a 2012 study acknowledge some degree of binge eating. The problem, though, just like in these other eating disorders, is that men rarely seek treatment. Being overweight is more socially acceptable for a man. And one man quoted in this story basically says, like, look, if I go home or to my dorm room and eat an entire pizza, like, oh, it's just a college guy eating a whole pizza, whatever, it's fine. However, he said, you know, if a woman does that, she's horrified with herself and might say, oh, what's wrong? What am I doing to myself? There's just a lot of... um different social acceptance levels for these different conditions. Now, the unfortunate part about all of these, um, the rising levels of eating disorders, um, anorexia specifically for this episode um, that we're talking about, is not just that there are more men suffering, but it's a sign that those same sociocultural forces that initially kind of made anorexia more of a gender disease that was affecting more women because uh, of the pursuit of the thinness ideal that's often more pushed on women, 
that same thing is now happening to men. Uh, there was an eating disorders expert, Dr. Anderson, who was talking to the New York Times from that 2000 article that we cited, saying that I think that men are simply following a decade or two behind women in terms of being exposed to body images that are increasingly difficult to achieve. And men still would lag behind in terms of anorexia because the thinness ideal is something that's more peddled to women. Right. Whereas for men, and this is something we talked about in our episode on body dysmorphia, strive more for the look of extreme muscularity. Right. And this was brought up in an Atlantic story from April 2012 that kind of positioned girls in their Barbie dolls against boys in their G.I. Joe action figures saying that some researchers believe that most male action figures promote that hypermuscular physique that's associated with supreme masculinity. Um, just as women might think I'm more feminine when I'm thin and willowy, men might think I'm more masculine if I'm big and bulky. And so then you have this rise in young men using steroids and supplements to fix what is an internal problem. It's body dissatisfaction. And so there are also the um, problems of over-exercising, restricting, binge eating, like we talked about, but also purging. Because if you think about it, that psychologist, Dr. Uh, Arnold Anderson, said that dieting is just not as socially acceptable for men. So many adopt purging behaviors instead. Like it's one thing you know, in society, if a woman orders just a salad and some lemon water, if a man does that, you're looked at as some kind of sissy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for evidence of how this bigorexia, as it's called, that strive for muscularity and also male anorexia plays out in similar ways as it does with men. I went online and Googled male thinspo, you know, those images of extremely thin men that we often associate with women, like female thinspo and even fitspo, fitspiration, is something that a lot of social media sites like Pinterest and Tumblr have cracked down on, girls posting these pictures of other girls who are extremely underweight. But it's like they completely forgot, the internet did, that men also struggle with eating disorders and that male thinspo exists. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised to find just how much stuff was on there. And it was as though, I mean, it's just it's just sitting there out in plain sight, I feel like. And yet we're just now try- acknowledging the fact that, oh, okay, eating disorders happen to men as well. And while we might call it something catchy like manorexia, no, it's not something different at all. Mm-hmm. It's anorexia. Right. And it's interesting what uh, pursuing either that thin, muscular ideal or that big, bulky ideal means as far as our perceptions of masculinity. There was a study in March 2013, March of this year, uh, in the Journal of Eating Disorders that found self-perceived masculinity is higher in men with muscle dysmorphia, while men with anorexia nervosa relate more strongly to feminine stereotypes. And study leader Dr. Stuart Murray said that the results don't necessarily mean that men with anorexia were any less masculine or the men with muscle dysmorphia were less feminine than their control subjects. It is, however, he says, an indication of the increasing pressures men are under to define their masculinity in the modern world. So again, dealing with this issue of masculinity, which isn't an outward thing necessarily it's more of an internal thing i would think your your perception the way you define yourself 
but seeking to do so in an outward way, how yeah. you how you shape your body. Because men are affected in the in the same way that women are by all of these images of idealized masculinity, whatever that form might be, whether or not it is the very thin, extremely lean male figure or like you said, kind of the, that bulkier, stockier, um, super muscular physique. Um, and one thing, though, that we need to talk about is sexual orientation, because study after study has found that compared to their relatively low population size, gay men do comprise a disproportionately large percentage of the anorexic clinical community. And so initially, when these studies came out, the wrong conclusion was that being gay is somehow a risk factor for developing an eating disorder. You know, kind of tacking on something else that must be wrong with these men. But the research now has come to find that no, that's, that's really not what's going on. It's, it's a bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, Dr. Anderson, who we've cited, said that there's nothing about gayness itself that increases eating disorders. But he says there's a lot in the fact that the community is highly stereotyped norms for what is attractive. So again, trying to fit in with those uh, those images that you're pursuing. And according to the National Eating Disorder Information Center in Toronto, the combination of Growing up feeling excluded and shunned, longing for acceptance and love on the one hand, and a culture strongly linking acceptance and love with a particular physical appearance on the other hand, creates enormous pressure to attain that ideal body. And because of that, uh, in April 2007, there was a widely publicized study that came out in the International Journal of Eating Disorders, which found that gay and bisexually identified men had significantly higher prevalence estimates of eating disorders than heterosexual men. But for the women in the study, there was no difference in eating disorder rates across sexual orientations. And so they said that that highlights the sociocultural forces at work that are just peddling all of these images to women. It's kind of like an equal, equal opportunity offender for women. But they're saying, well, why is there the disparity among gay men and straight men? And they think that it's kind of a dual thing of a sexual objectification at work, kind of striving for that thinness ideal, ideal, but also an internalized homo negativity, um, which is a higher body shame that is kind of taking on all of the negativity and prejudice that society has heaped on gay people and internalizing that into a body shame. And that's how it's manifesting in certain cases with eating disorders. And part of why uh, gay men seem to be overrepresented among all men with anorexia could be that they are just more willing to come forward and identify themselves as having an eating disorder. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's another thing to where um, it might just be problems that manifest themselves differently in different populations because heterosexual men are more likely to experience that kind of body dysmorphia and the muscularity pursuit, while as for gay men, it might manifest more as anorexia or bulimia. So there's still like all these different things 
going on. Um, but one risk factor, too, that researchers have looked into is a history of childhood sexual abuse. Um, there was a study that came out, again, in the International Journal of Eating Disorders in July 2007, which found that gay and bisexual men with a history of childhood sexual abuse are significantly more likely to have subclinical bulimia or any current full syndrome or subclinical eating disorder compared with men without such a history. And that makes sense. I mean, any kind of childhood trauma is often a risk factor for these kinds of disorders, because like you mentioned, Caroline, eating disorders are often a form of emotional coping mechanism. Right. But I mean, as several studies have pointed out, it's not the sexual orientation itself that's an independent risk factor. There are a lot more factors involved in why men in general and gay men also develop anorexia. And there does seem to still be this hierarchy of research paid to anorexia in particular, where it starts off with looking at it in female populations above and beyond. And then there was all this attention paid to gay male populations. And now we're finally getting down to just looking at men in general, saying, mm-hmm. oh, wait, okay, no, this is going on across you know, sexual orientation and affecting so many men, one in six estimated men, but they are either not stepping forward or seeking treatment or maybe we're not looking for it because we mm-hmm. still have a gendered perception of that. Um, but the reason why it's so important that researchers continue to pay attention to it and that public awareness is raised of eating disorders among men is that anorexia specifically has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. 28% of even recovered anorexics don't reach life expectancy because of the damage done to their body, like the, uh, you know, those potassium and calcium deficiencies and how it harms your bones, the potential cognitive deficiencies, all of this different stuff that makes it a very dangerous mental illness to let go untreated. Mm hmm. Well, we hope this has been helpful for you, listeners, um, and given you a little bit of perspective on something that is not talked about as much as maybe the women and girls who are struggling with anorexia these days. Um, if you or someone you know are struggling with an eating disorder, we do recommend you look up the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness online. Yeah, you can find um, plenty of resources there. Um, and if you would like to write to us as well, um, we would love to hear from you. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also send us a message on Facebook. Um, but again, if you, you know, even if you might not fit, you know, the, the standard assumed definition of someone who just never eats, it doesn't mean that, you know, there might be something going on. So pay attention to your own patterns. And, um, you know, if you have a friend going through something, reach out as well, because it's, it's a dangerous disease. And now back to letters. Well, we've got a couple emails here on our episode on gender and cleanliness. And I have one here from Rachel, who just got back from visiting her 22 year old brother who lives with two other male roommates of similar age. She says, I think when it comes to living with people, the cleanliness of the living space depends on the strength and perseverance of the person who has the highest standard, not the gender. My brother and one roommate really don't care all that much about cleaning, while the third is quite neat. However, the third one does not insist that my brother and the other one do their fair share of chores. I believe that my brother is not actively ignoring messy areas. He just doesn't notice. As a result, the neat roommate is irritated when he has to do all the cleaning and trash removal, which only 
seemed to apply to the kitchen because I disinfected the bathroom before showering. This included kicking dirty clothes into various rooms, especially since my brother likes to leave a trail of clothes to the shower from whatever location he decides on showering in. I live in an apartment with one roommate, and when I arrived, everything was grungy. There was some mold in the bathroom, etc., but I created a rotating weekly chore list and shared it with my roommate. Now we each have two chores to accomplish at some point during a given week. A previous roommate introduced me to the strategy, and it worked well. Common rooms get cleaned weekly, but there's not a lot of pressure, and we each do our chores when we have the time. So that sounds like a good strategy for keeping things clean with roommates. So thanks, Rachel. Indeed. And here's a letter from Lily. She says, I've always been someone who doesn't mind a little bit of clutter, and as a kid, I would definitely let my room turn into a tornado once in a while. My boyfriend of five years is so much better at keeping a clean house than I am. When we first met, his room was always neat. At first, I thought it was just to impress me, but as I got to know him better, and now that we live together, I realized that being an uncluttered person is a part of who he is. For example, he makes sure the dishwasher's emptied every night, and he gets annoyed if I leave my purse or jackets lying around. His tools are superbly organized, and so are his clothes and his dresser. Me, on the other hand, I just don't care as much if I leave the dishes for a night or throw my clothes on the ground. I'll pick them up later. But relationships are about compromise, and I can say that his ability to live uncluttered has actually made me a better person. I know that being organized and clean makes for a better, less stressful living environment, but knowing and doing when it comes to organization haven't always come hand in hand for me. Having someone that pushes me to live like that, that expects me to do my share of the chores, has helped me develop new habits and ultimately makes my life better. However, washing the bed sheets, brushing his teeth, and washing his hands are totally different stories. I've given up on him in those areas. So thank you, Lily. And I agree, living with dude roommate, I've been forced to be a neater person in the common space anyway. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> so thanks to everyone who's written into momstuff at discovery.com where you can send your letters. You can also find us over on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can follow us on Tumblr as well at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to get smarter this week, you should head to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.